Yeah, uh, Spiro Avenue, Detroit Sports Show, ayy. Spiro Avenue, I'll show you how it goes. Justin Spiro, Eric Vincent, that's the team, can't ignore. And Eric used to work for 95.5 out in Detroit. Hey, no love for Andre Drummond, they gotta criticize him. Shout out Jose Canseco, what up to Dennis Rodman? You looking for the realest, no holding back at all. Need Spiro Avenue, yeah, that's who you should call. Hey, they the greatest team, I salute ya. They criticize the game, even make fun of Greg Cooper. Keep it real and keep it authentic And shout out to the Spartans Ay, Spiro Avenue, Detroit Sports Show Ay, Spiro Avenue, I'll show you how it goes Justin Spiro, Eric Vincent, that's the team, can't ignore And Eric used to work for 95.5 out in Detroit Ay, Spiro Avenue, make sure you tune in Whoop. And welcome back to Spiro Avenue, the orange construction cones and pylons and all the construction business on Spiro Avenue are cleared. Spiro Avenue is back open for business. And thank you to Burton for our new intro. And speaking of new, we have a brand spanking new producer here at Spiro Avenue. His name, Mr. Eric Vincent. Eric Vincent, welcome to the program. Hello, hello. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I definitely feel out of place. Uh, all this green in here. I'm sitting up here wearing blue, which I'm sure is like a forbidden color in this room. Your skin did not melt somehow. I it, somehow. I, you know, nothing happened, so we must be all right. <laughs> yeah, the, the street signs and the, the pavement on Spiro Avenue are green and white, in fact. So yes. you are on Spiro Avenue, so you'll have to tolerate a little green and white in your life going forward. Eric, Vincent, and I uh, are both from the hills of Farmington originally. Uh, yes. Both have moved on from our, our homestead. We're old now. Yeah, we're old. You yeah, know. <laughs> we're old and, old and decrepit, but we have a, a similar background. And uh, if my parents had not been so hell-bent on sending me to a, a snobby school, we would have gone to the same high school as well. But, uh, Eric, it, it's a pleasure to have you. Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll get right into the show today. Indeed, yes. Uh, so I've been uh, in the business for a little bit. Uh, used to work for iHeartRadio uh, for about five, six years. Uh, did some writing for Bleacher Report, uh, some production, and some writing for uh, AM 1130 WDFN. And as you heard on the intro, uh, I did a little bit of pop uh, radio with Channel 955. A little bit different, but, you know, it's very, very fun atmosphere. Um, let's see what else. I uh, used to work a little bit with Rob Parker uh, on Local 4 when he was in uh, the Detroit area. Salute to Rob. Um, I know my way is a little bit around a microphone, so... Yeah, you know. you've, you've run the gamut. And a little bit. I'm sure you'll be giving me some pointers, in fact. So <laughs> let's start with this today. We just opened up the website again for business, so really the, the podcast and the website have come back together hand-in-hand. Hand. And I wrote this website, uh, or I wrote this article for the website uh, over the last couple weeks. It is a story about current Wings General Manager Ken Holland, who has uh, decided effectively that he is going to retire at the end of this season. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to go join uh, Mar-a-Lago and sit around in Florida all day necessarily. I suspect that he will still have some role in an advisory capacity with the Detroit Red Wings, but his career at the helm of the Detroit Red Wings franchise has effectively uh, begun to end going forward. He has a few months left. This is a decision that Ken Holland has made over the course of the last several months. 
And we this whole story came out, really it's been sort of trickling out of the Detroit media. The public has been hearing things about the Red Wings are not negotiating an extension with Ken Holland. The rumors are coming out that the, the organization is unhappy with him, that ownership is fed up with the Wings' ineptitude. And that was my understanding as well for the last several months. Up until very recently, we have two different excellent sources on this story. We had one right from the beginning and one that came in really as the story was being completed toward the end. And it turns out that Ken Holland is the one that has walked away from the negotiating table. So this perception that the Red Wings are are fed up with Ken Holland and are not offering them an extension, that's not really the reality. Ken Holland said that he wants to pause any negotiations himself of his own volition. So that was an interesting sort of turn of events and turn of the perceptions uh, of what's going on here. So with Ken Holland sitting there, I'm told about 90% sure that he's going to step away voluntarily. Uh, it does raise some questions about where the Red Wings are going to go forward. Uh, you have to look at what Ken Holland has been through in the last 20 years. It has been unprecedented success met with um, not unprecedented failure, but certainly uh, an underwhelming past 8 to 10 years for the Detroit Red Wings, certainly by their standards and the high standards of which they set. And what I've been told very clearly about Ken Holland's mentality, it, he's basically just burned out. I, he He does not have the stomach for a rebuild. He's a guy that is sat over and presided over unprecedented success with this organization. He's won three cups as the top executive, four as an assistant. So if you include the one as an assistant. So uh, it is tough for a guy like Ken Holland to reload the deck uh, and start from scratch. I think that's a tough thing for him to stomach in the salary cap era. That is what has been uh, told to me directly is that Ken Holland has basically openly stated as much that he is – not really in this for the long haul. He doesn't see himself working this job five, six, seven more years anyway. And his perception is that it's going to take that long to get this team back up to a championship level. So it's just it's just time for a new voice. It's not 100% done. Uh, he hasn't alerted the Illich family that he is definitely retiring. It's still up in the air, but that is where the winds are blowing. He's fairly certain of that, and he has made it pretty clear to those close to him that he is not comfortable continuing on in this role as long as he doesn't feel fully committed. And that that's something that he feels he owes to the Illich family. If he's not all hands on deck, he's not going to keep on the job. So certainly honorable in that regard. And there are certain things that you have to keep in mind with Ken Holland and his relationship with the Illich family and the Red Wings organization is that this is not your typical owner and GM relationship. Ken Holland was like a son to Mike Illich. They were extremely close personally and professionally. Ken Holland is beloved by Marion Illich, and Marion Illich still has a very influential voice over everything to do with Olympia Entertainment. Chris Illich gets the headlines. Believe me, Marion is a very prominent figure in every decision, major decision that's made with that entertainment group. So Marion Illich loves Ken Holland. So with these things in mind, his relationship with the Illich family, his legacy, Ken Holland was never going to be fired. And then there's still people out there that are, I saw the hashtag the other day, fire Ken Holland. It's not going to happen, guys. I'm telling you right now. They will not fire Ken Holland. Even if the Red Wings wanted to force him out, it, they would sit down at a table with him at a, at a Bennigan's or wherever and tell him, look, we're going to orchestrate this, but we're going to save, help you save face here, and it's going to be a mutual decision, yada, yada, yada. That's not even going to be necessary. Ken Holland sees the writing on the wall himself. He doesn't want to sit over this rebuild, so it seems to be a, a mutual thing from both sides. But this whole idea that, that Ken Holland's going to be fired, and, and that hashtag's out there. This is not a straw man argument. There are people calling for his head. 
This team's not going anywhere anyway. I think Ken Holland's on the way out. That is where everything seems to be pointing to. As far as what's next, I mean, we really aren't sure. The sort of logical assumption is everyone points to Chris Draper. And I, I do know for a fact that the Red Wings organization loves Chris Draper. They're very high on him. He he has a, a bright future in the business as far as they're concerned as an executive. I don't know what Chris Draper's philosophy is. We don't really hear much from Chris Draper. He doesn't really talk to the media much about whether he buys analytics, whether he's more old school. So I don't know. I can't give you an opinion on Chris Draper. I do know that the family, the Illich family, is high on him and they like him. Obviously, this is a family, again, it is a family-oriented company, family-oriented business, so it is likely that Chris Draper will get the first interview. But I am told that although we don't know exactly who the owners have earmarked, if anybody, Chris Draper is not a preordained successor for this role. He's not uh, earmarked as the sure thing uh, next in line for Ken Holland, which means that he will be certainly interviewed and looked at, but this is not just like a a formality that Chris Draper is going to step into the role. So, you know, absent of Chris Draper, if it's not him, just knowing the Illiches and how they are and how this organization has always been run, I would anticipate that there's going to be some type of Red Wings tie with the replacement. I mean, that's just how this organization has been run since the Illiches took over in the 80s. They tend to do things in-house. They don't really bring in an outsider with no ties to the organization whatsoever. It would just be a, a total deviation from anything they've ever done under this ownership group. It just hasn't happened yet. So... You know, that naturally that brings up Steve Eiserman. People are going to mention him. Uh, many people ha- have said what also uh, I'm aware of as well, that Chris Illich and Steve Eiserman don't have a great relationship. Um, not so much that Chris dislikes Steve, but Steve isn't too high on Chris. So I would be shocked just based on that alone if Eiserman would come back. Obviously, it would be great. You know, there's Jim Nill, who, who got poached by the Dallas Stars a few years ago, has done a decent job, has them in playoff position now, just right on the fringes. You know, maybe Jim Nill comes back. I, I do believe he'd rather be the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, given his history, but who knows? I would just suspect that there's going to be some type of Red Wings tie there. But I, I do have a, a hockey expert next to me in Eric Vinson. So, I mean, w- w- why don't you t- talk to me a little about your hockey chops? Yeah, Eric? see how they want to do me on my first day? You're going to put a black man. <laughs> In a position to talk about hockey on the opening segment. How you going to do me like that, man? Welcome to Spiro Avenue. But, you know, I will say this, though, because you do see through Illich franchises, whether it's the Wings or whether it's the Tigers, they're allergic to the rebuild stage. They always try to pretend and act like, oh, we're just one play away, we're one move away. No, it's the rebuild stage for both of those franchises is long overdue. I feel like this is much needed, especially if you're going to go from the top up whether it's the coach or the front office, whatever it may be, the rebuild is, at this point, uh, I would say uh, paramount for this team. Oh, they have to. And th- that's a great point. I wish I had made it. I mean, for a guy that doesn't know anything about hockey. That <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm brushing off my shoulders no, right there now. there you go. I'm very proud of myself for you, that. <laughs> you should be, because I'll tell you why it's a good point. It, the point is that Ken Holland, for years, has been in denial about what this franchise needed to rebuild. Right. They have been doing this thing by patchwork. Franz Nielsen, that contract is an absolute disaster. Trevor Daly. I mean, they, they're making moves as if they were just like one solid third-pairing defenseman away right. or one solid second-line center away, and, and that's not the reality of the situation. When you're a team going backwards, you don't pay a guy like Franz Nielsen big money for six years. It, just, it, does, it makes no sense. That's a guy you bring in as the last piece if you have one 
hold a plug. It's not a guy that you build your team around when he's 30 years old at the time the contract is inked. It's just the whole thing doesn't make sense. There is no plausible explanation for how this franchise has been run, and that's why they're at the bottom of the standings. They're the I think they have the third worst record at the time of this recording. So it's been a mess. I mean, they, they definitely need some help. So you'll probably be psyched about this, Eric. We are transitioning away from the Red Wings. But a very, but still a very uh, familiar topic because you know there's another coach who else who's also on the hot seat, not even on the hot seat anymore. Yeah, he's about it, to be propelled out in you know 2.5 as I, soon as this I, game is over. Yeah, I don't think it's the hot seat. I think his chair like burned already. Yes. Like it's already ashes. Yes. Of course, we are talking about Jim Caldwell. We are going to talk Jim Caldwell and the Detroit Lions next. You are listening to the Spiro Avenue podcast with Justin Spiro and Eric Vincent. All right, so let's transition to this. Jim Caldwell, multiple reports that he is gone. As this recording is going on, the the Lions are absolutely pounding the Packers in the meaningless bowl. Uh, Neither team has anything at stake. But, uh, again, Jim Caldwell on the way out the door. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, let's rewind four years ago when this decision was made to hire this guy. Jim Caldwell was never the right guy if, if you wanted to win a Super Bowl. I thought he was a right guy to, to be a caretaker for the organization. He's a right guy to, to get guys to play hard for him. He's a right guy that'll, that'll get guys rest that they need. He's a player's coach. But he's never going to win a Super Bowl for you. No. He's just not. No. When you have Peyton Manning to babysit in, um, in Indianapolis, you know your job's not going to be that difficult. Seeing what they're doing now, they're up 27-3 to in a meaningless game against the Packers. Caldwell was never the right hire. I think it was, what, Wisenhunt? I think that was the other yeah, they wanted option Ken in front Wisenhunt. of him. was canned in two years, too, though. I'm not he so was. sure that would have worked that out. That was very surprising. I was yeah. very shocked that it worked out too well. But, yeah, Caldwell has never been an option. I said last week when they blew the game against Cincinnati, I said, because there was a lot of debate, should he stay, should he go? I was always on the side of he should go. But I said he could stay as long as he doesn't do anything to cost his job that's blatantly obvious. The Golden Tate catch that wasn't a catch against Cincinnati, where you could have took a second, somebody in the headset could have said, Jim, you might want to look at this one more time, take a timeout. They had two or three timeouts at that point, because we know Jim Caldwell never spits timeouts until it's too late. So they had a chance to look at the play. He didn't even look at it. They just rushed up the punt and then let Giovanni Bernard run wild the rest of the game. So he's had too many instances like that. Um, You know, the blowing of the timeouts against the Texans a year ago, um, just go look at his entire track record. There's just way too many brain-dead plays and moments in Jim, in, on Jim Caldwell's resume. Uh, multiple penalties over the years with 10 guys on the field. This year, the yes. ultimate embarrassment of nine, which I haven't seen in all my years watching football. Yes. I haven't talked to anybody else that has seen it, even in college. I mean, I've never even heard of it happening in college. Nine guys for an NFL football. team. It yes. is uh, That is... That is some high school stuff. That stuff doesn't fly at Grand Valley State. So you got to go down to the high school level to see crap like that. It just can't happen in the NFL. And, of course, that play burned him, too. I mean, it ended up being a touchdown on that, on that possession. Exactly. So, you know, again, from, from day one, this was never the right hire because Jim Caldwell, again, if your goal is to win the Super Bowl, which it should be, Jim Caldwell's not going to win a chess match with Bill Belichick or Pete Carroll or, you know, yeah, I would even say Andy Reid. He's just, he's going to be outsmarted by these guys. I, I wouldn't like him against Mike Tomlin. I wouldn't like him against almost anybody. In fact, USA Today in 2015 ranked Jim Caldwell dead last, worst coach in the entire NFL. Fair. Whether or not you agree with that, he's certainly, I think, indisputably in the bottom five. 
this is not a guy that's going to outsmart the guys that he's going to have to outsmart to win. I mean, he's just an inadequate tactician. He doesn't have the strategic uh, wherewithal. He doesn't have it between the ears. I I just don't think he's smart enough. There's 25 better coaches. I think he's a a good guy. I think he runs a, a good program. But he just doesn't have the X's and O's intelligence to keep up with some of these other coaches. 100%. You even see it. Like, a lot of people made a lot of excuses. Oh, he doesn't have the run game. The old line is a mess, which is all true. Both very fair points. But even still, it's like you said, it's just the glaring mistakes of having nine guys on the field. There's no way in hell that can happen on an NFL team. And seeing all the mistakes that he's made up to this point, I don't even believe that uh, Bob Quinn wanted to keep him. I really don't think so. I think no. he wanted his own guys. Now he has a nice litter of guys that we're going to mention in a minute that he can go after. Like I'm sure Patricia's going to be in that discussion. Who's the favorite at this point? Josh McDaniels might even pop up. Uh, I mean, what's the QB coach or the offensive coordinator for New England? Um, he's going to have uh, some nice options, I think. But what, what we've learned to see in Detroit there's no such thing as a successful Detroit Lions head coach. Doesn't seem like it. He's the win- he Caldwell's is, the this is the, he is the most successful coach, and he's about to be out the door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does that say? It, it speaks volumes of the ineptitude that this franchise uh, has operated under for my entire lifetime and preceding my lifetime. It, it's been an absolute disaster. Yes, and you know we'll talk a little bit more about Patricia and other options in the things I like segment. But this is just generally speaking about the hire. You have to look at the big picture. This hire is arguably the most important hire of the Detroit Lions history of their franchise. I mean, th- and I'll tell you why. Matt Stafford is the best quarterback this franchise has had since 1958 when Bobby Lane got traded. I mean, th- th- you're talking 60 years almost of the day that Bobby Lane was traded out of here. And, and Matt Stafford's the best you got since. It's not saying much, but he's far and away clearly the best that they've had in six decades. And this will be the last hire of Matthew Stafford's prime. So you assume even a total disaster of a head coach uh, is going to get two or three years. Now you're pushing Stafford into his mid-30s. doesn't mean he's going to be done or be terrible, but you are at the tail end. uh, You're not tail end maybe, but you are entering the tail end years, the next three, four, five years of Matt Stafford's prime. This coach is going to be the last guy that's going to have a prime Matthew Stafford. And for all the the hate that Matt Stafford gets in this town, good luck replacing him. There's seven or eight quarterbacks that I would take ahead of him maybe. You know, I'm not saying he's elite. I've never bought that, but he is very good. And there's a reason why if you put Matt Stafford on the market today, you would get a massive, massive haul for him. 100%. Even with the contract and anything that he would demand. He's had two head coaches. He had Caldwell. Uh, Schwartz, I think, was the first coach. Yeah, he didn't have Marinelli at that point. He's had three different offensive coordinators with Linehan, um, uh, Jim Bob Cooter, and then Lombardi, who was god-awful. He's had a lot of coaches and a lot of guys try to say that they can fix him. Um, you're 100% right. You know, he's about to hit 30 soon. Um, he needs to – you need to find the guy that's going to take you to where you want to be in the next five, six years because if you don't, you be stuck with this mess again. You have to hire a guy that you fully believe can be on the stage against Belichick, against Mike Tomlin, against Pete Carroll, yes. and beat him. And beat him with a team that's maybe a little bit worse or as good. You know, you need a, a difference maker. Jim Caldwell was never that guy. And look, I've liked a lot of what Bob Quinn has done. Not everything, but I, I don't know GM's perfect. But this will be the time. The clock is starting on him the second he makes his hire. Because he, like you mentioned, he inherited Caldwell. You said it. I agree. I never. I suspect that he never liked Jim Caldwell to begin with, 
But once this new hire is made, it is his players, it is his coach, and it is his cross to bear or parade to throw either way, no matter what this where this goes. So there's no more blaming a Martha Ford saying Martha. And now and it doesn't mean she's exempt, but the narrative now has been Martha Ford saddled Bob Quinn with Jim Caldwell, so he gets to wash his hands of everything. Right. I happen to actually buy that narrative, but that narrative is gone the second this new hire is made. The clock starts on Bob Quinn. And we can finally assess Bob Quinn when this hire is made. Because the coach the coach is the entire identity of the franchise. And you can go right down the list in the NFL, for better or for worse, the coach is the identity. Bill Belichick teams, they're very prepared, diligent, detail-oriented. Pete Carroll teams, they're loose, they're confident, they're cocky, they're upbeat. That's a Pete Carroll team. Mike Tomlin teams, tough, hard-nosed, get in your face. They have identities. You And it, it follows the coach. Jim yes. Caldwell, lackadaisical, kind of stoic. His teams come out flat. Crucial uh, mistakes and crucial moments. Yep, yep. Not detail-oriented. Right. You know, Jim Caldwell runs a nice country club. His players love him for a good reason, because he has the lightest practices in the league. I'm not saying this. This is the reputation. We've heard it repeated again and again, right from the horse's mouth from the players. Jim Caldwell said he believes in rest. Look, I'm not, I'm not a believer in grinding guys down, but guys, you have to understand, coaches set the tone. So whatever Bob Quinn comes up with here is going to set the tone for this franchise. It's not going to be something Martha Ford does or what Bob Quinn does. Bob Quinn's giving them you know, the tools in the shed, but the direction will come from the coach. The tone of this organization will be set by the coach, and it's up to Bob Quinn to pick the right guy to do that. Um, you know, again, we are going to get a little bit more into, you know, the the replacements and the things I like, things I don't like. But it's just important to recognize the general importance of this hire that Bob Quinn is officially about to be on the clock. And I think it's ex- exciting, really, because I like Bob Quinn. We'll get to yes. see just what he's made of going forward. Yes, coaching is such an underrated uh, aspect of professional sports because people all think it's all in the quarterback in the NFL or in the NBA. It's all about the superstar. Coaching matters as well. You know, like you said, they set the standard. They set what the expectation should be for your team. And the Lions just look like a bunch of kids running around playing football for the first time. It's a damn shame. They need to figure it out immediately. Yeah, and and the quarterback is crucial. But, again, we've seen multiple coaches. Jim Harbaugh came in and won with Alex Smith, who had never done anything in seven years prior. I mean, in Andy Reid, same guy. You know, no one won with Alex Smith until Harbaugh got there. Andy Reid takes Alex Smith. Andy Reid can win with him. Andy Reid can win with just about anybody. Maybe not at the grandest stage, but he can win. He can go 11 and five with just about anybody. We've seen that from him again and again. You have to have the quarterback and the coach. I think this organization has the quarterback. I'm not saying he's elite, but Stafford is better or at least as good than multiple quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. I think Stafford's better than him. Eli Manning won two. I think Stafford's at least as good as Eli Manning. I mean, statistically, he's better across the board. Yes. So, And he's had lesser supporting cast in a lot of cases, especially alongside the offensive line, maybe not as much the skill position players, but no running game whatsoever that Stafford's had in his entire career. Stafford's entire career, the highest-ranked rushing attack the Lions ever had in the league was 24th. Yep, They've never even had a top 23 rushing attack with Matt Stafford. They have the quarterback to win a Super Bowl. You Matt do. Stafford's good enough to win a Super Bowl. You have to get the higher right. It's time for us to transition to things I like, things I don't like. These are the things we like very much. All right, so there was this report from NFL Media's Mike Silver discussing the future Lions head coach. Supposedly, 
Patriots defensive coordinator Matt Patricia is the leading candidate to replace Jim Caldwell. This is, again, according to NFL media's Mike Silver. Apparently, Bob Quinn has his eyes on Matt Patricia. Now, let's just look at who is Matt Patricia. He's 43 years old. He has a degree in aeronautical engineering, so basically he is literally a rocket scientist. Obviously, he has the Patriots pedigree. He's a very intelligent guy. He, he's an intellectual, uh, you know, deep thinker, a think tank type guy. Uh, he was offered, interestingly, a, a six-figure job right out of college. Uh, what was the job description? It was, quote, maintaining nuclear submarines and aircraft carriers. I, this is like, this guy is like nothing we've ever seen in the NFL. He would be the first rocket scientist head coach that I know of. Right. If you can handle that, you can handle an NFL team. You would think so. I mean, you would think you'd at least get 10 guys on the field, if right. not nine. I, I, you know, Matt Patricia is a rocket scientist. I don't think Jim Caldwell is even a paper airplane scientist. You look at Caldwell, you question if he even knows what's happening on the field. Like, I don't. I hate the, the methodical look where your coach is just looking off. Like, oh, he doesn't want to show his hand or how he feels. No, show some emotion. Act like you even know what's happening on the field he's a statue he's, yes he, he's a he's a statue up there he's like a monument he, his face doesn't move yeah, it's like when brady hoke used to be on the sideline with no headset like what coach do you know has no headset or can't show emotion or even respond to something that happens like a penalty a touchdown your co- your coach is just sitting there like oh uh, it, it's so frustrating because it, it's the idea that like the coach cares less than you do what, yes. even if it's not even if it's not true like there's something it same goes with athletes too i mean i remember right. when Curtis Granderson was with the Tigers for for a while, had some really good seasons for them. And people would just get so mad at Granderson because he would strike out and just kind of do like an ah, shucks face. Right. Like people are like, come on, you know, break a bat over your leg or like show some emotion. I never necessarily bought that. But with Jim Caldwell, it's like that guy is just, he's dead. I yeah, mean, he's a, he's a corpse up there. It's, it's ridiculous to watch. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, the thing with these coordinators, you never know how they're going to translate to the top job. There's no better example of this than the Patriots coordinators in the past. You run right down the list. Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Josh McDaniels. They were all flops. And and it's really this concept of proximity to greatness does not equal greatness. Tim Cook with Apple has done a decent job, but by all accounts, he's not Steve Jobs. He worked under Steve Jobs for years. They had lunch together every day. He was in the building. He ain't Steve Jobs. So these guys aren't going to be Bill Belichick, even Matt Patricia, who might be great. Is probably not going to be Bill Belichick. And I mean, the aforementioned Eric Mangini, I think, is the closest comparison that we can really find to Patricia. They both won multiple Super Bowls as coordinators. They're both high IQ guys. Uh, Eric Mangini was dubbed Mangenius by the New York media when he started out with the Jets. He got off to like a six and two start or whatever it was. And and what, it, what happened, Mangini ended up flaming out in both New York and Cleveland. So, yeah, I mean, there's reason for pause here. Far more coordinators fail than succeed when they're elevated to the top job. The Patriots have not only not been an exception, I think they've been the absolute affirmation of that concept that coordinators, who knows? We just we don't know. Anyone telling you that Matt Patricia is going to be a great coach or a bad coach, they don't, they don't have any clue. Of course not. But you know, like you said before, you know Quinn is going to look back in that litter of the New England uh, umbrella. You know, even their free agency during his first uh, go-around, he went after Dante Hightower. You know, he signed Tavon Wilson. Um, so I'm okay with that. I, I, w- I would like Patricia. You know, I think he would be a good fit. They One name I do think I think we can keep uh, in mind in the search, what do you think Terrell Austin would do? 
in this kind of situation because his name has been mentioned. He's been overachieving with his defenses since he's got here. He had a lot of great help when Sue was around. But if you look at the guys now, like these Lions defenses aren't anything impressive. But when you watch them play, the defenses aren't the reason the Lions are losing these games. Austin has performed very well. He's had a lot of interviews throughout his tenure in Detroit. I wouldn't rule him out as a possible replacement. I, I wouldn't rule it out. And, you know, again, for the same reason I said I wouldn't know what to think of Patricia or any other coordinator, I wouldn't necessarily know what to think of Terrell Austin. I don't know if he would be good or not. I haven't seen him in the role. I know I was underwhelmed when we actually saw Josh McDaniels in that role in Denver. Maybe he's grown. Bill so, O'Brien as well. That's another New England guy. That's kind of that That, that report bit. just came out that Bill O'Brien's coming back, though. Like, yes. Likely. Right. It hasn't been confirmed, but it seems like he's not going to be on the table. So, I, look, the only issue I have with Austin is – we would be denied the catharsis of just having a complete blowout of, right. of the entire staff. And that's not necessarily fair to him. I don't think Terrell Austin has been a problem. There's a reason why people are banging down on that guy's door every offseason. He's a sharp guy. I think he's a very good coordinator. Who knows about the head coach position? Look, if they hired Terrell Austin, I wouldn't riot. But, I mean, a part of me would be sad that we're just not getting a complete blank slate and that's just that's just you know there's no logic to that that's just the emotional element of this where you don't want to even look at anyone that you've had to look at the last four years so from that angle I wouldn't like it but from like a a logical standpoint I mean I think there's a reason why people call that guy every offseason and have for three years now what we see a lot now from former Lions head coaches they go on and be successful somewhere else. I think Schwartz, I think, is head uh, first in line for the Giants job yeah, right now. Yeah, he's going to get it. That's what it looks like. Yeah, he's been doing pretty good in Philly. I give him his credit um, for the run Dallas had when Linehan and Marinelli, they're both over on that side right now. I think Morningweg has a job with Baltimore, Yeah, he's with, he's with Baltimore now. Yeah, so what do you think the odds are that Caldwell – uh, finds another job somewhere and succeeds. Well, I think he's done as a head coach. Is that? Or do you mean as a coordinator? Yeah, as a coordinator, right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously he came in uh, to Baltimore midseason. They ended up going on a run. Flacco got hotter than he's ever been in his life. They yes. won the Super Bowl. But then the next year, I think they were like the 23rd ranked offense right after winning the Super Bowl. And the Ravens were uh, reportedly, from multiple reports, wanting to fire him and were doing cartwheels when the Lions hired him because they didn't want to fire such a nice guy that helped them win a Super Bowl 12 months earlier. So I don't know. I mean, it's possible if you get the right quarterback and you're in the right system. You know, I, I don't think Jim Caldwell is like a terrible football coach. I don't think he's a good like head football coach, but I don't think he's a bumbling idiot as a coordinator. I think he can function in that role and, and be a rah-rah guy. You know, he, he's not rah-rah on the sideline in plain sight, but any player I'll tell you that's that's played for him, that he's a totally different guy in the locker room. Some of those videos have come out where he's giving speeches after. He is a different guy. He's just he doesn't show that face. But I he, he might be an adequate coordinator somewhere. But I I'll tell you this, I'm not terrified of the prospect of Jim Caldwell haunting me. Not I don't think all. there's anything that's gonna happen. Even if he goes and wins another Super Bowl as a coordinator, look he was fresh off that Super Bowl with Baltimore, you know, a year earlier. I wasn't thrilled that that they hired him. So I wouldn't see myself being distraught if Jim Caldwell goes and has success elsewhere. I think Jim Caldwell's a good person, so I'd be happy for him, but I'm not. that's nothing I'm going to fear. Yep, best of luck, Jim, but just time to move on from here. This is it's definitely not working in Detroit. Yes, best of luck to you, but uh, have that luck somewhere else because, I, I, you know, he's gone. Uh, it's just a formality at this point. So, you know, again, this is the things I like segment. So for all the caveats I put on being concerned and having no clue about Matt Patricia being a coordinator – I like that this is who they're reportedly targeting because I think it would be a smart hire. It may not be a great hire. We just don't know. But you're not going to hire 
Bill Belichick. You're not going to hire Mike Tomlin. These guys aren't available, so you do have to take a chance and hope you get the next Sean McVay, a guy that, you know, is a coordinator that you hit the right guy. And I think you could do a lot worse than a rocket scientist with a, a couple of Super Bowl rings. I mean, you know, intellectually, this guy's going to be pretty sharp, I would imagine. And I, I know he's a very valued member of that staff in New England. So yeah. While you mentioned Sean McVay, who took over for Jeff Fisher, keep him out of this uh, locker room. I think Jeff Fisher, for some reason, somehow finds ways to uh, find jobs in the NFL, but he hasn't done a damn thing since they got to the Super Bowl in Tennessee. Please do not bring that man back here. Jeff Fisher is the most overrated coach I've seen in NFL history. If, if they hire Jeff Fisher... I, I might kill myself. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 might, I might just say that life isn't worth it and I have no reason to be here. No. Because that would be – and I'll tell you what, I, I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be completely stunned. Because Jeff Fisher is a cockroach. Like, he, you can't kill that guy. Right. <laughs> I mean, he is just – he it took him two years longer to get fired with the Rams than, he sh- than it should have taken. He was with the Titans like five years too long. It's like – and he's not like – Three and thirteen. He's not like the worst coach in the world. He's just he's going to win between six and like maybe nine games every single year and never do anything else, no matter what the talent level is. It's like that guy is just. If they do that, this will be our first and last show together because <laughs> I, I won't be here. I mean, this is a story for Lions fans. Period. We have plenty other reasons to want to be to to be in this state of depression, whether it's the team, the coach, whatever it is. So many reasons for Lions you know, fans this, to feel this, this way. This is supposed to be the things I like segment. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not bad. I didn't want to take yeah, it this you know, way. You're de- you're depressed. <laughs> the shit out of me. Sorry, man. everybody. I, I, oh, my the God. The Lions are still winning, if that makes you feel better. You know, this segment was there put... There we go. Uh, well, that's great. So they'll have a worse <laughs> draft position. This whole segment was put in so I wouldn't be in here ranting and raving and be negative the whole time. And you're, mm-hmm. you're bringing me down, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the pros back. <laughs> 35-11 Lions, oh, if that helps your mood at know, all. No, it makes it worse, actually. It really does. So, all right. Let's do things I don't like. Let's do it. These are the things we don't like at all. Not one bit. All right, time for things I don't like. Going back to June, let's rewind a few months. The Pistons draft Duke's Luke Kennard with the 12th overall pick, and one pick later goes Louisville's Donovan Mitchell at number 13. Most fans of the Pistons, including this one right here, were clamoring for Donovan Mitchell. I wanted Donovan Mitchell badly. And you're actually watching the draft. I'm sitting on the couch, and you see Malik Monk from Kentucky start to slowly slide. He was projected top seven or eight. He's there at 9. He's there at 10. And the 11th pick comes up. There he goes. Monk is gone. So I I wanted Monk for like five minutes, but assumed all along he was gone. So Donovan Mitchell from day one going into the draft, that's the guy I wanted at pick 13. I specifically did not want Luke Kennard, and that makes me typical because no one that I talked to wanted Luke Kennard. I couldn't find anybody on Twitter in my social circle, which is huge because I'm so popular. I couldn't find anybody in my social circle, anybody on the massive text thread that I had with like 12 dudes that wanted this guy. I mean, this was one of those rare occasions where there was a total consensus of the fan base, and it wasn't just anti-Luke Kennard, it was pro-Donovan Mitchell. So what happens, of course, with Donovan Mitchell sitting there, the Pistons select, drumroll, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, Luke Kennard out of Duke, and Mitchell goes one pick later to Utah. So we fast forward several months, we're all depressed, we're in Pistons land where nothing is ever exciting, we can't have good things, and we fast forward to this past weekend, Donovan Mitchell is starting every single game at guard for Utah, 
And what is he doing? He's hosting LeBron and the Cavaliers this past Saturday night. They're in town to play. What happens? Donovan Mitchell goes off. A highly efficient 29 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. He has a game-clinching shot late. He's in the, every guy's jersey on defense. He's playing his ass off. Donovan Mitchell's just the star of the game. He is. And he completely dominates the Cavaliers in a victory. He wins the game for them. And it drew rave reviews from King LeBron James after the game. Let's play the LeBron James audio after that game. Um, you know, he's a player. He's a player. Kid got a lot of game and uh, you know, and they've been they've been riding that wave all season since they realized what they actually got, you know, so you know, um, you know, he's not afraid of the moment. Um, he just go out and play ball. You know, they put him in situations where he can succeed and uh, he just try to take advantage of it. Interesting comments there from King James. Now, Eric, if you can find the audio of LeBron James praising Luke Kennard and saying that he was a great player, can we play that audio? Do you have that? I got a crickets drop. You got a crickets Will drop? Will that work for you? Yeah, maybe you should play that because there is, there's no such audio. You know what? Let me let me provide that audio for you then. Because while I totally agree with you in seeing that Donovan Mitchell is playing star basketball right now for Utah, a team that's lost a lot of players. They lost um, – uh, Hayward to Boston. Um, they lost a lot of pieces, so really not much going on with Utah, except for they have him. Now, while he's playing very well, I don't hate the Luke Kennard pick. I really don't. My my pipe dream was um, somehow Dennis Smith would fall to the Pistons. That's who I wanted in the draft. Didn't think it was going to happen, but I was sick of Reggie. I still don't think Reggie's the, um, the answer at point guard for this team. But I like what Luke Kennard is doing for this team. He spaces the floor well. I didn't realize that he was so good at creating his shot off the dribble. I thought he was just a catch-and-shoot guy like a Kyle Singler. He's a pretty good player. I think he's going to have some rough stretches because when you look at young guys who play under Stan Van Gundy, a la Stanley Johnson, even Luke Kennard right now, he's going to give you a good game, but he's going to be in the doghouse a few times throughout the season. We've seen him get benched. We've seen him coming in and out of the lineup, only play two, three minutes. He provides, I think, a pretty good spark for this team, especially while they're missing Avery Bradley, who's injured. And they have a lot of other injuries right now. Reggie, who's missing out of the lineup. I don't mind what Luke Kennard is doing right now for this team. Well, that's very nice. I'm glad you love him. Somebody's got to show love to the kid. That, you, let me tell you what, though. You're, you're wrong here, and I'll tell you why. You're making an argument that Luke Kennard is a useful NBA player, and that's not the argument. The argument is that Donovan Mitchell was clearly better at the time of the draft, and he's clearly better now. And you just look at him side by side. Look, I don't hate Luke Kennard in a vacuum, but we're not living in a vacuum. Donovan Mitchell, 21 years old, starts every game, over 18 points per game, 44% from the field, getting better every month, by the way, in that category, and a very, 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 very good defensive player. Luke Kennard, also 21 years old, role player off the bench, six points per game, one-third of Donovan Mitchell, 41% field goals, 3% worse, and he is perhaps most concerningly an absolute sieve on defense, one of the worst defensive players in the NBA right now. He couldn't even guard anybody in college, little in the NBA. He's completely overmatched on that side of the court. These two could not be more different on defense. So you, that that side is just bad enough. Then offensively, Donovan Mitchell is more efficient. He's more electric, a far better athlete. He's just he's better in every single way, other than maybe you know deep shots. I mean, I have a perimeter game, but no, I totally agree. I think just the way this team is set up, I think you kind of needed a Luke Kennard or somebody to get off the bench because the the. The focal point of this team's offense, obviously, is the pick and roll with Reggie and Andre. And now they're doing a lot more of the dribble handoffs. 
Um, and then Tobias Harris, who I think is the closest thing they have to a star on this team. He doesn't shoot enough for that to happen, though. So while I do agree and see that there is plenty of star capability for the game of Donovan Mitchell, I think the way this team is set up, which, again, is not enough, because it is an NBA, it is a star-driven league, Luke Kennard, I think, will be very productive for this team. I think they're – I mean, even, even look at that right now. I think they're fourth in the uh, East right now. Um I don't think there's any team in the Eastern Conference right now that is just head and shoulders above anybody. I think Cleveland's a good team. They can be beat. LeBron. They can be beat by Boston. They're not going to be beat by anybody else. Who's going to beat Cleveland or Boston? It's going to be one of those two. In this year, it'll be one of those two. Yeah. But I think a year or two down the line, I think Cleveland can be beat. Well, I think those teams can be beat. Yeah, look, I, I'm not disputing that the Pistons needed a three-point shooter and Luke Kennard had one of the best percentages in the country last year in that category. So I'm not disputing any of that, but this is the Ken Holland mentality of running a team where, oh, we have this hole, so we got to plug it. The Pistons don't have the luxury of saying, we really need a three-point shooter, so we're going to take a, a specialist. And Luke Kennard's a little bit more than a, a pure specialist spot-up three-point shooter. He's, he's, he's got a little bit more to his game than like a Kyle Korver. I think. I mean, we'll see how he develops. But they don't have the luxury. They're not that good of a team where they can say, we have this one little isolated box that we have to check, and, right. and, and we're going to draft to it. This team needs dynamic players, the profound impact players. Luke Kennard never, ever had a chance to be that guy, in my opinion. I, I don't see it. I, hey, he might be a good player, might have a nice long career. He was never going to be a star. Donovan Mitchell, from day one, had star potential. We're seeing that bared out where LeBron James is sitting in, in, in the locker room in the media scrum afterwards basically raving in awe about how, how good this guy is saying you can see what they're doing now ever since they realized what they had in this guy. He had, he's fearless. He'll take the ball at the end of a game. Do you think Luke Kennard can one time all year do what Donovan Mitchell did Saturday night where he's going to grab the ball at the top of the key with the game on the line and say everyone clear out I'm going to go score and then go by three guys and do it I don't see it I wasn't surprised at all that they did draft him the way that Stan Van Gundy what Stan Van Gundy specializes in especially with the Pistons is trading and getting away veterans that other teams don't want we did that with Avery Bradley you did it with Tobias you got it with Marcus Morris that's what he specializes in doing so I wasn't shocked when he went after the rookie, a three-point shooter, which, again, he loves the three-point shooters. I can space the floor and shoot. But seeing your your views on Luke Kennard, you must hate Stanley Johnson than seeing what Devin Booker's doing in Phoenix. Oh, I do, but it would be hypocritical of me to make a huge stink about that. I actually want to Justice Winslow over Stanley Johnson. So me like, too. It, it would be kind of like, uh, it'd be disingenuous for me to sit here and be like, oh, how'd you not take Booker? Right. It's different with this because I wanted Donovan Mitchell at the time, so I, I can't sit here and play like Monday morning quarterback. Of course. Uh, on the Booker thing. I, I You know, it's sure, it, it was a bad decision, but I can't act like I know anything different about that situation. But specifically with Donovan Mitchell, this is a, a, a again, maybe there were a few guys that wanted somebody else, but with the guys that were on the board, just being on Twitter that day from talking to the people I talked to, I couldn't find anyone that wasn't saying Mitchell, Mitchell, Mitchell. That was who the fans wanted. That's who I wanted. Nobody wanted Kennard. And here we are, and it's being played out in reality. And, yeah, Kennard might have a nice career. Donovan Mitchell walked off the bus at Louisville and started scoring 18 points a game in the NBA and locking guys down defensively. He's already one of the top maybe 30, 40 guards in the game if you factor in how good he is on the defensive end. Now, that's not elite, but for a guy who's 21 right out of college, I mean – 
this guy is going to be very, very good at the NBA level. He's far, he's light years ahead of Kennard now. I think he's going to continue to develop. I think it was a big mistake that Pistons did not have the luxury of taking a specialist, and that's essentially what Kennard is. Yeah, Pistons are in the NBA purgatory where they're good enough, but they're not going to be good enough unless they get that kind of piece, a star, a guy that you can truly build a team around. I know your views on Andre Drummond. I, I'm okay with Andre, um, but they don't have that that focal point that's truly going to put this team over the top. I thought Dennis Smith Jr. could have been that guy. I love what he was doing at NC State. I think he's going to be a hell of a player for yeah, Dallas like when they develop. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, for whatever reason, the Pistons – the Pistons can't get a superstar for some reason. We love building with the team model where everybody just works hard. They're scrappy. No, in the NBA, especially nowadays, you need a star in order to be successful. Yeah, and the Pistons in 04 were like the ultimate outlier, and they came you know, so close in 05 too, but that was the absolute exception to the yes. rule. It's the only time that's ever happened in the you know 84-year history of the National Basketball Association. Right. You, you don't want that to be the model, and as you alluded to, especially now. I mean, I think you could slop it up and play an NBA version of Wisconsin basketball where you just have a, a mean team that you know gets in guys' jerseys all game and you have the, the pit bulls, Lindsey Hunter and Mike James. That's The game is called completely differently now. So right. the, the 0-4 Pistons, I loved them, but if they were playing in this era, officiated the way it is now, they would get run out of the gym by Golden State because they would be they'd be in foul trouble in the first quarter. I mean the whole team. So 100%. and if you put the Warriors in the 0-4 rules, I think the 0-4 Pistons would actually beat them because they would get punched in the mouth. I mean yep. who knows? But this that's not a sustainable model now. It's not going to ever win anything. Look, I've always said I don't hate Andre Drummond if he's my like third or fourth banana. I think he could be the third best player on a championship team. Absolutely, I don't even think I could put him as high as number two though. I I don't trust him. You can't play him at the end of games. He sulks. He's certainly not the guy that you want as your franchise guy. We've had we've done that show like three times on this show. But uh, you know you're new to this program. But you know I mean I put Andre Drummond. Burton, our, our rapper who did our intro, I mean, he he addressed me hating Andre Drummond in the, the intro to this show. I did. We did hear that. Yeah. It's in your Twitter bio as well. Yeah, it's in my Twitter. I mean, very consistent with that. I'm very clear on Andre Drummond. And the fact that he attacked me and threatened to kill me, like, literally, also made me. Oh, <laughs> wait, 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 what? Andre Drummond, a couple years ago, I was pantomiming underhanded free throws to him uh, during a game. You know, he was like 0 for, you know, or 1 for 6 or something at that point in the game. It was a close game. I think it was actually against Cleveland, uh, LeBron's first year back there. And uh, he, in the middle of the game, uh, you know, during a stoppage, said, um, you know, do it again and I'm going to fucking kill you and, um, you know, say it again, say it again, kind of thing. What? And uh, yeah, yeah, there's a witness to this too. My, my buddy Scott Anderson, who might be listening as well. Um, so he heard that whole thing. And so the game goes on and he ends up getting pulled from the game because he's a total liability. It's a close game at the end. Pistons end up losing uh, with Andre Drummond on the bench sulking. And he's like, the game ends and he's just looking right at me. Like he wanted me to say something. He was like almost daring me to say something. And I just kind of shrugged and I was like, hey, should have given it a shot or something like that with the underhanded free throws. And he had to be physically restrained by Reggie Jackson from coming after me. And there's a video of this of him being held back. So I, it's just, I already was off the Drummond train like before that. First of all, before we continue, I don't have to worry about like Andre's goons running up on me by associating with you, do I? I'm not gonna say. Because I, yeah, I want to live. I'm only 27, man. I got a little bit of time left. Look, you know? 
I, you think I can guarantee your safety? What am I going to do? If Andre Drummond uh, wants I, to get some, like, goon to come beat you up, I, I mean, I'll try to help you, you out. Do, you do have some nice, vicious dogs at the front door, though. I do, So yeah. I think we're going to be all right. Yeah, the, pa- the Pomeranian and the Chihuahua. That, it's about that, as big that as my, my cell phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll be right. all right. The two, the two cell phone dogs, the two Nokia dogs are yes. really going to be keeping Andre's goons at bay. Yeah. Oh, no, God. I, I love I, – I'm an Andre fan. I It, it is kind of frustrating to see that his – Outside of his free throw shooting to an extent and his passing to an extent, his game has not excelled really at any point. Like, there's no – he doesn't have a reliable post move still. He doesn't block shots. He still gets in foul trouble. And sometimes you see this team playing a little bit better when he's not on the floor, when they're running with Ish Smith, when Tobias can spot up or just, you know, take over and shoot as much as he wants. It is kind of frustrating to watch Andre play, knowing, seeing how he played against teams like Boston, where he had 20 and 20. If we had that every game, we'd be right in the fold with Cleveland. Yeah, but he yeah, comes yeah. and goes, obviously. I, I don't know if he'd be. I mean, he would still fold up at the end of the game because he's unusable and he's a baby. And the second one call doesn't go his oh. way, he's going to sit down and sulk. I just, I, I don't like him. I, I just don't like the guy. I, I, I'd, be fine. That. I, I'd be fine with him if he was my third banana. But this team has said that this is our guy. This is He's the one that's on the posters. He's the one that's on the top of that little, bro- the cover of that little brochure they send when they want you to renew for season tickets, which like 18 people do at most. But this is their guy. I mean, they've made it clear. This is the guy they pay the most. This is the guy they broadcast. He's the one on the billboards. He's the one that they market. So they're telling me he's their guy. He's their guy. And he ain't no number one guy. He's just not. He's never going to win a title. He's never going to get to the finals as long as he is the franchise player. It's just not going to happen. And anyone that wants to disagree with me on that, I want to see the evidence of any player that fit that mentality, that mold of being that soft and won a championship. The closest you could get to anyone sniffing it was Dwight Howard, who didn't win a title but you know got embarrassed in the finals but at least got to a finals, uh, oddly enough, with the same coach Andre Drummond has now. But I would argue peak Dwight Howard was a lot better than Andre Drummond. Certainly 100%. way better defensively. Way better defensively. He won defensive player of the year. Yep. You know, he had to an extent post moves. He was strong with the ball. You know, Andre, looking at Andre's game, like you said, it hasn't progressed at all. And even looking at the NBA now, it's not a big man's league anymore. You look at teams like the Pelicans who have literally the two best bigs, I think, on one team, and they are not going anywhere. I love, I love Boogie Cousins so much. Love that, guy, Boogie. that guy's nuts. Love but, Boogie. I, yeah. want, I wanted Boogie here in a Piston uniform oh, when they yeah. had a chance. His but game is so good. He's a great player, but the NBA has evolved. It's a wing game. You have a dominant forward or a point guard that can you know go get you 30 and drop off some dimes. We don't have that on this team. The Pistons are very limited, especially with the injuries now plaguing as well. They're going to be, like I said, they're going to be in that, in, that, that purgatory stage where they're like teetering between like – fourth through like seventh or eighth seed and that's not going to get you anywhere especially in the east no it's not and that is why it is the things i don't like segment the fact that the pistons did not draft who i and so many others wanted to draft and it is now the chickens are coming home to roost why did you apply for the gm job man oh, I, I, I mean, you could have put that. your resume in there I don't, you look i don't I don't want like that job. I'm not even saying I would be good at it, but I would have gotten this decision right because Donovan Mitchell was light years ahead of uh, Luke Kennard on both ends of the floor. Uh, it's just 
I, I don't I don't get how someone paid multi millions of dollars a year can look at that option, look at those two guys on the board and pick the one that he did. I just I get what they were trying to do, like, but it doesn't make sense. It was stupid, and it's I'm being proven right. It's not like again I was in consensus. It's not like I nailed some great pick here. I mean, this was what the fan base wanted. The fan base who was wrong about Trey Burke, and I was among those people wrong too. But they're, they they got this one right, so. That's things I don't like, and that let's wrap this show. That was our, our first show, and I, Eric, it's good to we have you. We got through smooth. Hey, I think I think we got through well, and I'll try to keep hockey talk to a minimum for you. Oh no, we coming back to hockey talk. I'm not running away from that. Let's oh, so get it right back next week. Gonna We're gonna run right here. to the flame. That's good, right. Good, good, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I, I saw like when basketball and football was the topic. You, right, perked, you saw you, my eyes light yeah, up. Yeah, you, you? You, perked, you perked right <laughs> up. So we'll, we'll we'll try to get a little bit of everything here. Yes, sir. Uh, so thank you all for joining us. It's, uh, again, it's good to be back. The website will be cooking. The, the podcast will be going at least once a week now. Uh, i got a couple of guests that we're working on uh, for next weekend. Uh, we don't want to tease it yet until we get something a little bit more firm. But uh, we're happy to have you back. Eric, thank you again so much for joining us your My first pleasure. show. And I look forward to working with you going forward. Spiro Avenue Podcast. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for listening to the Spiro Avenue Podcast. Follow Justin on Twitter at Darko State News.